it heads. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast, episode number 18, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. I hope that you guys had a fantastic weekend. I hope that you have a great start to your week today. It is Monday, and it was a very, very slow sports weekend. I said to myself, you know what? No matter what happens this weekend, you need to have a show on Monday. You need to get back on your schedule. Last week, we did Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, when in reality, the show is supposed to do Monday, Friday, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. I mean, it's in bold on the Spotify uh, label. It's in, it's in bold on the YouTube banner. It's That's the schedule that I'm supposed to have, and I did not do a good job of keeping it last week. Uh, you know, you're never forced to make content, but it's good to keep a consistent schedule. And, you know, even though I was putting out content, it wasn't on the days that I was supposed to. And, you know, if, if any of you have had, uh, like, a, a really dedicated schedule to something you know that when you get thrown off of it <clears throat> it just kind of it kind of throws your whole week out of balance but regardless of that I wanted to have a show today and it just so happened to be one of the slowest weekends in sports that I've seen in a while there was the UFC fights on Saturday but other than that nothing really happened there was no developing news and you know sometimes there are going to be slow weekends sometimes there are going to be slow weeks that's just the way that it is um you know our 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 jobs would be easier as as journalists and analysts if there was a constant rollout of news pretty much every single day but it's not always like that so time sometimes you need to reach for your topics uh and today i'm kind of reaching for my topics a little bit i mean they're definitely relevant i mean i'm not going out into the middle of <laughs> left field and fenway park to find a, a sports topic to talk about but still uh, admittedly i struggled to find topics today so you'll have to forgive me if this is a shorter show but you know what let's just stop all the talk let's get into it thank you guys for joining me as always so we talked about jj watt being released from the texans on saturday that was gigantic news it kind of shook around the nfl and there is a lot of interest for the pro bowler i don't know i think he's an eight-time pro bowler in his 10 seasons something ridiculous a lot of pro bowls um J.J. Watt is a phenomenal player. I don't need to tell you that. I'm pretty sure you already know that. But we touched on it kind of on the end of the J.J. Watt segment last time, talking about where his potential destinations might be. And we didn't really get into it, so I thought, well, you know, let's kind of revisit that and kind of go deeper into where J.J. Watt could potentially be going. Uh, J.J. Watt had a $17.5 million cap hit, so he was an expensive player. So financially, it makes sense why the Texans released him, even though... If you watch the segment from Saturday, you can definitely tell that I disagreed with it and I just didn't understand it from a from a moral position. But regardless of that, um, he's going to take up a big chunk of cap space and he is going to mm, fill a gap that necessarily doesn't necessarily need to be filled by a lot of teams. But regard that, especially a lot of teams that are contending, because the important thing to note is that. J.J. Watt is probably going to go ring chasing. I mean, that is the most logical path forward for J.J. Watt. He's been stuck on the Texans for his entire career. They've made the playoffs a couple of times, and they looked like a promising team. But as we've seen in the last two seasons, that has all gone burning down. So with J.J. Watt being 31 and him entering the final years of his prime, he is definitely going to go ring chasing. So not only do you need to find a team that is going to be contender, but you also need to find a team that has the cap space or at least the potential to have enough cap space to bring him on the roster 
at a relatively high cap hit. Um, it's not going to be as high as $17.5 million. I mean, the good thing for those contending teams for J.J. Watt is going to be the fact that he did not have his best season. He probably had his worst season as a pro, so that can artificially bring down the uh, the price of the contract for Watt. But regardless, here are the destinations that I think have the best chance of landing J.J. Watt. And the first one that we should definitely address is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously, this this is the big one. This is the one that's being thrown around in the news everywhere. This is where both his brothers, both Derek and TJ, play. Um, the, the, the brothers are there. They've had talks of uniting and playing as one family. <coughs> oh, excuse me. This is the big one. They've had talks of playing as a family. Uh, but the, the big problem with the Steelers is they do not really have the cap space. They have a lot of big-name free agents. They have a lot of good young players that are going to be expected to be paid soon. And really, the money is the only thing that is preventing J.J. Watt from being a Steeler straight away. Uh, big Ben is going to have to restructure his contract. He's got a gigantic cap pit as well. It's something like 30, what, no, excuse me, like $43 million, a gigantic cap pit. And even if you restructure his contract, that's only going to save you about 15 to $16 million when the Steelers are about, if I remember correctly, about $40 million in the hole. Um, so they would have to do a lot of work to sign J.J., I don't know what it would necessarily take to be able to pull that off. It's definitely the most entertaining idea of pretty much all the teams that uh, I've I have on the list today. The Steelers. I mean, having being able to play with your brothers is probably every football player's dream, like a, a football family's dream, the ability to play with one another on the biggest stage. So, I mean, it's definitely an entertaining option. It's definitely a fun option, but is it the most realistic? I think this is probably the most unrealistic option out of the teams that I have on the list today. Next team is the Patriots. The Patriots were one of the worst pass rushing teams in the NFL last season. It's the team that out of all the teams on the list today, it's the team that makes the most sense in terms of trying to fill a position. Uh, the Patriots have the cap space. They have a fantastic coach. They're going to have returning players on defense. And they're somebody that can absolutely use a pass rusher like J.J. Watt. Again, one of the worst pass rushing teams in the NFL last season. It's a team that I think is going to be much better. And it is going to, especially with some changes on offense, if they get that quarterback, whoever that may be, some weapons, whether that's Cam Newton, whether that's uh, maybe like Jacoby Brissett, Gardner Minshew, or a quarterback that they draft, like whoever that quarterback is. Uh, they're going to need some offensive weapons, so that'll make them better offensively. The Patriots are not as bad as a destination as most people think. I think they have the potential to make the playoffs next season. I think they'll probably be around that that ten to six, maybe nine and seven, eight and eight range if they get some help that they need. And JJ Watt would definitely be the help that they need, especially at the edge rushing position where they were again one of the worst teams in the NFL. So, is there enough to attract JJ Watt to the Patriots? That's the ultimate question because out of the most teams on this list, this is probably one of the the more the one of the teams that are more less more or less that are less likely to make the playoffs this next season so if JJ Watt is going to go ring chasing like a lot of people think he is this probably doesn't make sense from a ring chasing perspective but in terms of uh, a, a fit and a need between a player and a team this is a pretty good match 
Uh, next team on the list is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was doing research for this segment, and I thought there is no way that the Super Bowl champions could be in the running for somebody like Watt. Uh, because normally teams that win the Super Bowl are tight on the books. They're very tight in the wallet. They have a lot of tough decisions to make. And that's one of the reasons why it's very rare for teams to repeat as Super Bowl champions. Because what it takes to get to the Super Bowl is a lot of good players, and often players that take up a lot of cap space. So it's very hard to keep them there long term, keep them in the mix. Uh, but the, the Buccaneers have done a fantastic job of managing their roster. They are above the cap, so they ha I think they have anywhere from like 20 to $28 million in cap space, if my memory serves correctly. Uh, and they do have a lot of players on the defense that are coming off their rookie contracts or expecting new contracts that they do need to pay. So the Buccaneers do have a lot of financial decisions that they have to make. And I think if you take a look at somebody like Shaq Barrett, even though I think he probably ends up staying in Tampa, reports are that he really enjoys Tampa Bay. He wants to stay there, but he is a player that is going to be expecting to be paid. Uh, other, other people like Levante David as well. There's a lot of the front seven for the defense for the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that are either free agents or may expect to get paid. And Dama Kung Su is another name that you can throw in the mix. So when you take a look at somebody like J.J. Watt, who did ha not have such a good season, so you can get him at a reduced price, and he is a really good player, you could realistically see a situation in which Watt not only goes to a Super Bowl contender straight away, but is also a cheaper option to somebody like Shaq Barrett, who... Again, wants to stay in Tampa Bay, but might not because there is not really that much money there. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to have to try and keep much of that court together. So essentially what I'm saying to you is that J.J. Watt could be a cheaper but equally as good replacement. An older replacement, but almost equally as good replacement for somebody like Shaq Barrett or Levante David, who wants to stay in Tampa Bay, but can't stay in Tampa Bay because they want to get paid and the, the Buccaneers don't have the money for it. Next team on the list is the Miami Dolphins, uh, a young on-the-rise team with a great culture under Brian Flores. They have a lot of cap space. And uh, like the Patriots, this is another uh, destination in which the primary attraction to this for me is a younger team that needs to fill a position that J.J. Watt can fulfill, kind of like the New England Patriots. The Dolphins have a, a Super Bowl caliber defense down there in Miami, and one of the weakest positions on that Super Bowl caliber defense was the linebacking core. Now, obviously, J.J. Watch is an edge rusher, whether that's playing defensive end, whether that's playing an outside linebacker in a 3-4 uh, a three, uh, defense. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the defensive scheme is for the Dolphins because I think they have a new defensive coordinator. Uh, but regardless of that, um, if, if whether that's a defensive end, whether that's a, a linebacker, an outside linebacker in a 3-4, uh, J.J. Watt can absolutely fill that position and really tighten up the weakest part of a Super Bowl caliber defense for the Dolphins. Uh, he could be a good uh, opposite piece to Emmanuel Agba, who had a pretty good season for the Dolphins. So I really like this option. Um, again, the Dolphins are kind of in that bubble picture where it's like they can be really good next year and they can potentially go... Uh, anywhere from like 11 to 5 to 9 and 7 and make the playoffs and could potentially be some Super Bowl contenders if they have a really good season, but it's the team that may not quite be there yet. And Watt, again, is looking 
for a ring at this point in his career. So Dolphins are a good young option in which he would fill a need and he's going to be part of a really good defense. But is he going to win a ring in Miami? I'm not necessarily so sure. Uh, next is Washington. And all I have to say <laughs> about uh, J.J. Watt to the Washington football team is this, com- is this combination. This is all I have to say to justify this. Chase Young and J.J. Watt. <laughs> that has the potential to be one of the scariest pass rushing duos that the league has ever seen. And it's nearly a guaranteed, a guaranteed trip to the playoffs because of how bad the NFC East is. I think the Cowboys are going to continue to be stinkers. The Eagles are going to have to figure some, figure some things out. The Giants are kind of in limbo as well. Again, I've said a couple of times on the show already that I think Washington is in a really good position to kind of run the NFC East for a couple of years to come. So if J.J. Watt wants an easier trip to the playoffs on a really good defense that has uh, a lot of momentum going for it, Ron Rivera is a great coach. This is a good option for Watt as well. And similarly, the next team is the 49ers. Again, similar to the reason in Washington, that combination between Chase Young and J.J. Watt. Imagine a, a Joey Bosa and J.J. Watt pass rushing tandem on a contending team like the the 49ers. Uh, did I say the wrong brother's name? I might have said the wrong brother's name, uh, Nick or Joey. Um, I, th- I think it's Nick. Uh, <laughs> I, I might have said the wrong brother's name, but regardless, Bosa and Watt on a 49ers defensive line would be absolutely scary. He could take uh, Kerry Hyder's place, who Kerry Hyder is a free agent. Uh, so you can do a one-for-one one there, get move, move somebody out, move a better player in, uh, even though he's going to be a little bit more expensive. The only thing that I have to say about the 49ers is that, is that they have a lot of problems in the secondary in terms of having a lot of free agents back there. So uh, the corner, the cornerback position and the safety position, lots of free agents there. I think the 49ers will probably opt to spend their money there instead of on somebody like J.J. Watt, but still, that is a pretty good, attractive destination for J.J. Watt. So out of all of those, those are the destinations for Watt that I think are the most reasonable, those that are potential playoff contenders, um, or, or, and then, of course, there's the Buccaneers, who are the Super Bowl champions. Those are the teams that are playoff and Super Bowl contenders that not only have the cap space to do something, apart from the Steelers, they have the cap space to do something, they have the talent that could surround Watt, and something that, and, and Watt can fill a position for those teams. So those are some good teams that I think are in the running for Watt. We'll have to see. I mean, obviously, with a player like Watt, there are going to be a lot of teams that are going to try and make some moves to try and get him, but we shall see. And now moving on to the uh, the next edition of the Front Office Frenzy, which if you don't know what the Front Office Frenzy is, is the segment where I draw a team randomly out of this hat and in 15 minutes or less, I lay out a logical and reasonable pla- path to the playoffs for that team. Uh, 15 minutes or less, I have basically no notes in front of me. I have the record in 2020. I have the cap space for that team. And I have the amount of draft picks that that team has and maybe one or two smaller bullet points if I think it's interesting enough and it's a talking point to kind of carry me through the segment. And again, the rest, I basically have to talk about and come up with the answers off the top of my head. So we've covered a couple of teams so far. We're moving along in the segment pretty nicely. And today's today's team is going to be... Oh, God. Oh, God damn it. Uh, today's team is going to be the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and the reason the reason I, I kind of curse a little bit uh, is because this is not a team I was looking forward to do. This is going to be a difficult one for me. I need to scroll to the uh, the Cowboys in my notes here really quickly. 
Okay, the Cowboys. Um, I'm not thrilled about this one. Uh, this is going to be really difficult for me. Uh, we, we didn't get it in 15 minutes or less last episode, so hopefully I'll be able to get it in this episode. Let's start our timers right about now. <sighs> the Cowboys went 6-10 in 2020. Um, they have $18 million in cap space. They have 6-10 to 10 draft picks in the upcoming draft, depending on where those uh, compensatory picks happen uh they could potentially have a, a third round compensatory pick but most of those will probably occur in the fourth and fifth round like uh, most others the cowboys are a difficult fix uh, because there's not a lot that i can do personnel wise like players on a football field that can really help the cowboys i think the cowboys problem is really their coaching staff at this point um but again as as, as much as i you know say that the cowboys are a difficult fix they went six and ten last year and they still had a chance to win the division. Um, you know, so me saying, okay, how do I turn the playoff, uh, the Cowboys into playoff contenders? That division is so bad that they already kind of have a chance of being playoff contenders. Uh, you know, if they if they beat the Giants in week 17, you know, they would have had a really good chance to make it into the playoffs. I think, I don't know if it was exactly a control your own destiny but regardless of that, I mean, they even after the season that they had, they still had a chance to be into the playoffs. So you take that and you say, well, they're kind of there, but they're really a bad football team, so they shouldn't be there. I guess the biggest takeaway really for me is I think Mike McCarthy is the wrong coach for the Cowboys. And I think that the only person that thinks that Mike McCarthy is the right coach for the Cowboys is Jerry Jones, which presents a big problem because as we've seen in recent history, Jerry gets what Jerry wants, even if Jerry's absolutely wrong about what's best for the football team. And who am I to say that, <laughs> who am I to say who is right and wrong? I'm just somebody on the internet, but regardless, I think most people, the general perception of Jerry Jones's decisions over the past couple of seasons is that they're genuinely the wrong decisions, especially when it comes to playing Dak or playing, paying Dak Prescott. Um, and the look, the, the reality is, is that the team underperformed massively last season. I mean, that was a, a Super Bowl contending roster uh, over the past two seasons, and they just have not put it together. And when you don't put it together like that, you really need to look at the coaching staff. Look, I'm really not a fan of Mike McCarthy as the head coach of the Cowboys. He, I don't think he does a good job. I think he's lazy. I think he doesn't know what he's doing. And I think he bamboozled Jerry into getting a job. I mean, the the telling play of last season, I think everybody will remember this when I spot, when I speak about it, is when Andy Dalton got absolutely crushed on a late hit and nobody came to help Andy Dalton up off the off the turf. That team is in disarray. It's a fragmented locker room and it starts from the top. And that is directly the problem with Mike McCarthy is that nobody really seems to care on that team right now. I mean, and they've got some really good pieces. So if it were up to me, I would have fired Mike McCarthy a couple weeks ago. Uh, I know it sucks. Normally it's very, I guess, frowned upon to only give a head coach one season, but truth be told for me I've already seen enough I thought the hire was a bad hire to begin with I would have fired McCarthy and I would hire somebody like Todd Bowles or Eric Bieniemy. I think in this specific situation I would hire Todd Bowles seeing what his Buccaneers defense did to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl and really the Cowboys defense was horrendous last year Todd Bowles is a good defensive coach that could definitely come in and try and sure up that defense I think Todd Bowles would be a great coach for the Dallas Cowboys but again Mike McCarthy is the coach now he's probably going to be the coach this season and I would hedge bets that he's probably the coach in two seasons from now because Jerry is just not good with these types of decisions so number one priority I think is finding a new head coach because 
when you have talent on the Cowboys like the Cowboys have and they continue to play that bad, it's something that stems from the top. It's either a culture problem or it's a head coaching problem. I think it's a head coach and a culture problem, but mostly the head coach uh, because those two kind of coincide together. Um, so... The Cowboys do have a lot of cap space. What was it I said? Uh, 18. Oh, that's not necessarily a lot of cap space, but they're above the cap. So $18 million in cap space. For me, you realistically need to do everything to re-sign Dak Prescott if you're going to be a contender in the NFC East and you're going to be a serious contender in the playoffs. Because look, realistically speaking, I don't think that Jerry is going to re-sign Dak. I think he'll opt for Dalton because of how much Jones is going to have to pay to Dak in order to get him to stay. Uh, I, I, you know, I think if Jerry Jones really wanted to pay Dak, it would have happened already. I, I'm not really a fan of this cat and mouse game that Jerry's pay, uh, playing with the money. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but if it were me, and that's what the segment is about, is if I were the GM in that front office, what would I do? If I were me, look, I would say Dak's coming off an injury. You can use that as leverage for getting a more team-friendly long-term contract, and you go from there. I mean, it kind of sucks to use the injury as leverage, but Dak is going to be expensive. He is going to be expensive. And Dak, the real reason for keeping Dak is Dak is the leader of that locker room. And without him, the team completely imploded last season. And sure, there were some other injuries that were keeping the Cowboys down. But when Dak Prescott got injured, you could just feel the energy get completely sucked out of that football team. And uh, Mike McCarthy just could not keep it together in terms of having a a stable locker room that wanted to play every week. It just looked like the Cowboys didn't want to play uh, last season. The rest of the offense is really well put together. Uh, you've got Amari Cooper and CD lamb at wide receiver. Um, Cole Beasley, I believe is Cole Beasley in Buffalo or is he in, is he in the, uh, Dallas? I'm, I'm having a huge brain fart right now and I apologize ladies and gentlemen, but that's one of the cons of the segment is if I get it wrong, I get it wrong. I can't do research <laughs> before to make sure that I'm right. Um, so you've got a couple of really good wide receivers, uh, uh, a decent tight end, uh, and you've got Ezekiel Elliott, which is obviously one of the better rushers in the league. He had a bit of a down year. He's been struggling recently, but he's still a really good running back. So really, um, and, and of course, you've got the offensive line. So really, the offense is pretty set for the Cowboys. Um, they're going to have to make some, deci some decisions soon. Uh, but really, the thing that matters with the Cowboys is who's going to be the quarterback. And again, I would do everything that I can to keep Dak Prescott, even though he shouldn't want to play for Dallas. He, he somehow does. I mean, he's he's a very good leader in that locker room and he's a good quarterback. So you really need to do everything you can to keep him. Uh, other than that, a couple of members of the offensive line are going to be free agents. Uh, Cameron Irving is going to be a free agent. He got hurt. Uh, there is another offensive lineman. And again, it seems to be a running theme with this segment. I always forget who those offensive linemen are. And uh, I, I, I can't remember the name, but try and sure up the offensive line. The offensive line has been one of the better parts of the Cowboys. Again, had a down year due to some injuries. It's been a better part of, of that Cowboys team for a long time. You need to try and keep those guys together. The defense is really where the tough decisions are going to have to be made. A lot of it depends on what new defensive coordinator coordinator Dan Quinn wants his defense to be like uh, Dallas has three of its starting defensive backs heading into free agents um, Xavier Woods Chidobe Awuzie and uh, Jordan Lewis those guys are going to be free agents this year so you're going to have to make some tough decisions about where you want to spend that money, especially if you're going to re-sign Dak Prescott, which when you re-sign Dak Prescott, that cap space is going to shrink from like 
uh, what was it? 18 million. I've, I've a couple of, of, um, sites that I've seen said 18 million. Some people say it's going to be more than that, but whatever it is, that signing is going to shrink the, the calorie, uh, the calorie, <laughs> the cap space, um, the salary cap. I don't know how I got calorie anyways. Uh, regardless of that, the defense is where you're going to be uh, needing to make the tough decisions. Uh, Xavier Woods, Jadobi, Wuzier, Jordan Lewis. If you're Dallas, you're going to have to probably be comfortable with losing two out of the three of those. I think the one that you probably don't want to lose is Xavier Woods. You really don't have any other good safeties apart from Xavier Woods. So really need to make sure that you re-sign him and then try and fulfill your other needs in the draft. Um and, you know, all the thing is, the thing is, and why I say you need to be comfortable with losing two out of the three is because all of those guys are coming off of rookie contracts. So they're in that position in their careers where they want to have their first big payday. And again, with the moves that you're going to have to make to try and keep that offense together, uh, there there is... Uh, going to be very little money around to pay all of those, the deals that they feel like they should deserve, even though they didn't play really well last season and they had a rough season. They don't have that leverage. They're still going to want to get paid uh, again. So I think out of the three of them, you probably want to go after Xavier Woods. Um, he is probably the best safety that you have, and you're going to need to address the other areas in the draft. Um, Alden Smith is a free agent as well, I think, and he was your best pass rusher last year. So I think you probably have to let him go too. And I know saying, oh, he's your best pass rusher last year, but that's because you have Demarcus Lawrence on the line as well. And Demarcus Lawrence just has to have a better year. He has to play better football. I don't know whether that's just Demarcus Lawrence having a bad year or, again, if the coaching staff and the bad coaching really affected Demarcus Lawrence like it did the rest of the Cowboys team last year. But Demarcus Lawrence is going to have to have a better year. Uh, going into the draft, um, the, <sighs> hmm. We're going to have to load up on defense in this draft. I mean, if you re-sign Dak Prescott uh, as the quarterback and you really get all the offensive players back together again, you're going to have to focus on the draft. I would load up on defense in this draft. Uh, with your first-round pick, I think Caleb Farley, the cornerback out of Virginia Tech, is probably your best bet at that position. Or wh whatever the best cornerback is available in that draft, you draft him. I'm just going to say Farley for the sake of saying Farley because I've, I think I said that uh, Patrick Sertan should be drafted by the 49ers when I did the 49ers in the front office uh, frenzy. So I'm going to see Caleb Farley here. As we just talked about, a lot of the defensive backs are going to be free agents this season. It makes sense to take a quarterback, a cornerback in the um, the first round here. So I say whichever one is available, make sure you get him in the first round. Get sure up that uh, defensive back, uh, the defensive back core, and you'll be good from there. Um, round two, you need to try and get another person on the defensive line. Look, the Cowboys were horrible at start at stopping the run last year. Again, I don't know how much of that is due to bad coaching or whether they're just really, really bad. I mean, uh, DeMarcus Lawrence really did not have a good year. So whatever defensive tackle you take, I think maybe Davion Nixon out of Iowa would be a really good um, person to fill that void. He might be gone by the time you're picking in the second round because there's not really a lot of good defensive tackles in this draft. But you need a big boy in the middle of the line to try and sure up the run a little bit. I think Nixon would be a great pick. Again, defensive tackle out of Iowa. And then there is no third round pick uh, unless the Cowboys get a uh, compensatory pick. Odds are that they do get one. I think that you should probably use this pick to get another linebacker, somebody that can try and, you know, be a little bit of a depth player to support a player like Leighton Vanderesh, who's probably your best defensive player besides uh, Demarcus Lawrence. Um, Sean Lee is a free agent, I remember seeing. And. 
he is a good linebacker, but he's been hurt in and out, on and off, and he is a free agent as well, so he may not want to come back to the Cowboys. So I think you should probably use that third round compensatory pick if they get one. I'm kind of I'm kind of assuming that they do. Um, so whether it's the third round pick or a fourth round pick, you're going to want to spend that on uh, a linebacker to try and again reinforce that front seven on the defense, get a little bit. Uh, better at stopping the run there and get some depth because I think one of the real things that exposed the Cowboys last season was their real lack of depth depth at certain positions. So uh, that is the front office frenzy for the Dallas Cowboys. I felt very disoriented that time. And it's probably because it was so difficult because I literally had so many thoughts going through my head on what I should and should not do. If I were the general manager for the Dallas Cowboys, you could start stop your stopwatches there. Thank you so much for watching that segment. So tune in next time to figure out if we do your team next on the front office frenzy segment. So moving on, uh, this is this is where the, we get to the part of the show where it's like, okay, now we're kind of reaching for topics. It's not necessarily re uh, relevant news, but it's not not relevant news. And uh, the good thing about the front office frenzy segment is that you're really able to get a good 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, a chunk of time that's just eaten away. So it's really good for me to kind of just say, man, there's not really a lot to talk about today. I might as well just go and, and throw in a front office frenzy, se frenzy segment, which is good because, again, we only have a little bit, a limited amount of time to be able to get through all 32 teams before uh, the draft happens, which is when that cutoff for the front office frenzy segment should end. So, whew. So again, this is where we kind of stretch into the maybe not so relevant topics, but I really kind of wanted to talk about Jameis Winston today. Uh, and, and there was a, there was a, a story or a question that was aired on ESPN that kind of got me thinking. And it's, and it's a question that definitely I've thought about before, but you know, I didn't really know where I wanted to fit it into the show or which show I wanted to do it for. Uh, I was kind of hoping to wait until maybe some more news came out about it, but where does Jameis Winston fit on the saints? And is he a good fit for the saints? Is he the heir apparent to Drew Brees, which Drew Brees hasn't necessarily retired yet, but the odds are is that he will retire. And that really obviously leaves a huge hole for the Saints who haven't needed a quarterback in close to 16 years. Um, and, you know, Jameis Winston is obviously a name that everybody should know, especially in that division, considering he played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He had a 5,000-yard passing season and uh, that 30-touchdown, 30 30-interception 30 season that, um, of course, he thought he was one of the best seasons that a quarterback has ever had. But realistically speaking, if you're throwing 30 interceptions, I don't know, my guy. That's, uh, that's really rough. But regardless... Is Jameis Winston a good enough quarterback to replace Drew Brees? I mean, Sean Payton has gone on record and said the next quarterback for the New Orleans Saints is in the building. Now, whether he meant Taysom Hill, whether he meant Jameis Winston, that's obviously yet to be seen. We saw what Taysom Hill could do last season. I wasn't exactly thrilled with Taysom Hill as the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. I mean, it was a different look. Um, obviously, Taysom Hill's running ability is a lot to game plan for, but his throwing ability left a lot to be desired. And that's just the kind of quarterback that he is. He's definitely a utility piece. He's definitely a piece that you can bring in for a couple of sneaky trick looks. But is he good enough to be a quarterback, a franchise quarterback for the New Orleans Saints? I don't think he is. And he's a little older, too. I think he's in his 30s already. So it doesn't necessarily make sense for Taysom Hill to be the next starting quarterback to the Saints, which obviously points us to Jameis Winston. 
And again, the reality is, is that he's the best option, but he's also the cheapest. And he is just a really good heir apparent for Drew Brees. Um, not, not necessarily a really good, but he's probably the best options that the Saint have, especially with their salary cap situation. They're $82 million over the cap, uh, so they need to make some decisions. They don't have the capita to go out and get uh, a quarterback uh, in free agency, and they're probably not high enough in the draft boards to be able to take that first-round quarterback that you would want. So, you know, again, Winston didn't do much on the football field last season. He signed a prove-it deal, like one year, $2.5 million dollars. So since Winston didn't, didn't, do, uh, didn't do too much on the football field last year, you can expect that he may sign a similar deal this offseason with the Saints um, unless he decides to uh, sign elsewhere. I mean, there's a very good chance that Winston decides to sign elsewhere for another team that needs a quarterback, but uh, reportedly Winston is on board with re returning to the Saints. The Saints are on board with having him. The only issue really with Winston is, and this is his biggest flaw by far, is that he's very analytical. He thinks too much. He is an overthinker, and when he tries to think too much, he does too much. He tries too hard, and it gets him in trouble. So when you place him in an offense like he was in Tampa Bay, where it's an air raid offense, a lot of the responsibilities on his shoulders, it falls on him to get things done, you can see why Winston had the season that he had before leaving. I mean, if you think about it in that context, it makes perfect sense. He had 5,000 yards, but he also had 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions which is again it's like oh man like this guy's amazing and it's also like man this guy is bum he is an absolute bum but when you think about it in the context of man Winston is an overthinker he tries to do too much everything makes sense so what do you do to a guy that thinks too much? You put him in an offense that requires not a lot of thinking. And I, I don't know about how complicated the Saints offense is, but looking at it from you know a, a viewer's perspective, it's not the hardest offense in the NFL to understand. I mean, a lot of it is slants to Michael Thomas. You go, you got seam routes and a couple of cutback routes. It's very nickel and dimey kind of offense. And then it's predicated on the fact that Alvin Kamara is your running back. You got the play action ability, and that's when you take your shots. But with a simplified offense like the Saints, with a bunch of slants and checkdowns to Kamara and some seam throws, you have the potential to have an easier and simplified offense for Jameis Winston to run and understand. And that's going to allow him to succeed more because he doesn't necessarily feel the need to be able to take over the game. Now, is he going to be the end-all be-all for the Saints next season? No, I don't think he is. But what I am saying is that with an offense that is less reliant on throwing the football down the field all the time, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were a couple of years ago, um, it doesn't all fall on him. It's not all of his responsibility. And he has a better chance to succeed in an offense like that as opposed to the one that he was in. And I think, yeah, there is something to be said for sitting behind Drew Brees for a year. I think you have the potential to learn a lot. I, I, I assume that the conversations between Winston and Brees were be very beneficial for Winston. So obviously none of this can be disproved or uh, proven because we haven't necessarily seen him on the football field a whole much. I mean, we saw him in the uh, divisional round against the Buccaneers in which he had uh, a one-play touchdown down for 65 yards but again that that was a drawn up play design play doesn't necessarily mean much I think it was a trick play even so again he hasn't done enough to basically say well he 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 hasn't done enough to really demand a good contract which again the Saints really can't give him anyways because they are so down in the hole in the cap space with the salary cap 
So he's probably one of your cheaper options unless he gets offered more to go elsewhere than otherwise you're kind of in a tough pickle. Uh, but he's your cheapest option. He's a decent option. He has the chops to throw the football. But if you can pl place him in an offense that's much simpler, like the Saints offense appears to be, uh, especially with a, a, a receiving running back like Alvin Kamara, he has the potential to seed. And he could be a good heir to the Saints organization, uh, the Saints you know, quarterback back situation, until they feel the need to try and find another person there. And lastly, we're going to wrap up the show here. Uh, talking about this, this fan controlled football league. I, I was on YouTube last night and I saw highlights of one of the very first, I think if, I think it was the debut, but it was the fan controlled football league. Uh, and if you haven't heard about it, the fan controlled football league, I think it's called the FCF. Um, it's a league that is casted live on Twitch and it's controlled completely by the fans. The rosters controlled by the fans. The rosters, okay. So the, uh, let, let me let me backtrack a little bit. The rosters change every single week. There's uh, teams that can franchise two players, meaning that those two players do not change every single week, and that's predetermined by the owner owners of the teams every season. But other than that, uh, the roster changes completely by each week. Uh, the 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 viewers draft the players for those teams. And not only do they draft those players, but those fans that are watching get to pick the plays in real time. And uh, it's it's a 50-yard field, 7-on-7 uh, seven seven football. Uh, the roster changes happen on Wednesday, and the games happen on Saturday. And I was watching some highlights of this game, and <laughs> I got to admit... It was kind of awesome. Like it was, it was stupid. Like it was clearly like, okay, this is this is such a gimmicky football league. But it was also just kind of awesome. Like it was like real life Madden. Um, now, realistically speaking, I mean this this league has a very high chance of folding. I think it probably will. But the concept is like really really cool, and I think it was funny to watch. Um, you know, Johnny Manziel was playing. <laughs> he was he was the quarterback for the Zappers. I think they were called. Um, this league really is a bunch of subpar football players or washed up football players that, um, are just playing football in a league seven on seven. And, uh, I, I, I couldn't help but think that it was really awesome though. I mean, the announcers were going wild. There was like three or four announcers that were screaming into their mic after every touchdown. So if you're like me and you think that the uh, announcing needs overhauling in the NFL, you probably really enjoyed this broadcast. Um, this this fan control football league was entertaining to watch. I mean, again, the understanding is like, wow, these are a bunch of kind of subpar football players. I mean, there are some big names there. Uh, Johnny Manziel, obviously, and a uh, Quinton Flowers, who was a quarterback for the UCF, uh, the UCF, the USF Bulls for a while. He was considered uh, considered to be a potential Heisman winner at some point uh, in his collegiate career, but obviously uh, he didn't really do anything in the NFL. He bounced around on the practice squad of a couple of teams. But uh, it was really kind of funny. Like, the entertainment factor is definitely there for that league, but you have to understand what it is in order to enjoy it. I mean, it's 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 a fan-controlled league with a bunch of subpar football players, washed-up football players that are competing in a 7v7 50-yard field football game. Uh, and the way that you that you score your, your extra points when you score a touchdown is with a one-on-one, -on -one, a wide receiver versus a cornerback. Um, and, you know, the, the, the quarterback picks up the ball off a... Off a little stool or something like that, and um, I thought that was genius. Like I thought, wow, this would be a really interesting way to get extra points in the NFL. Obviously, that won't ever happen, 
But I guess the point in all of this is that this league is really cool. Like, it has really cool ideas, but you have to appreciate what it, you, you have to understand what it is in order to appreciate it. It's just some, it's, it's good old fashioned entertainment. It's something that you shouldn't really be taking seriously. Um, but it's, it, it's fun to watch. I did think it was so funny that, you know, <laughs> Johnny Manziel was out there looking like exactly like, you know, he was on the Cleveland Browns again, just running around trying to, um, will his team into making some miraculous plays because of his, his scramble ability. And it's, and, and you know, now it's working now that he's not, you know, playing against other professional athletes, you know, other really good defensive players, but, um, it was an entertaining watch. I'll definitely give it that. It was an entertaining watch, and you know, I would I would watch it again. Again, I was watching highlights on on YouTube. I don't necessarily know what the actual broadcast is like. Again, these are broadcast on Twitch. I don't know what the ads are like. I don't know um, how all of this works specifically. Like, I understand how you know you know the, the fans can call plays and and make roster changes. But I don't. I, I've never been a part of it, so I can't speak to like the actual process of it. But um, it, it's a funny idea. It's a really funny idea, and maybe there's something to it. Maybe obviously it, it's not going to be the biggest thing in the world. Maybe it just becomes a really niche thing. But in terms of you know um, what it is, it was an entertaining product, and I actually really enjoyed myself. But again, you need to you kind of you need to understand what it is in order to really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, that's the show today. Uh, That's all I really have to talk about. Again, very slow weekend. Uh, And hopefully, you know, some more things will come out by Wednesday so we can get a show on Wednesday. Thank you all so much for watching and supporting the show. As always, this has been the hard headed sports podcast hosted by me, Nick Ryan. So on on behalf of that, stay hard headed, but have a nice day.